0: All right, this next story was perfect for vice.com, which is where we saw it. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, California, has signed a pair of, of bills that'll make it easier to force people into treatment because of drug addiction.
1: Oh, this is a horrible idea. On on so many levels, this is a horrible idea because what he did and the reason why it took two bills is the first one was to expand the state's definition of conservatorship. There's a word that's got a great connotation these days, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, every time <laughs> that we, we
0: only hear about with
1: Yeah, with celebrities like Britney Spears and Yep, uh, and Michael Orr was yeah. was the other one. Um and there have been several others, but yeah, that's that's where we normally hear about it and it's usually what an awful idea that is to, you know, to take conservatorship over another adult. It just seems bizarre to us. So they expanded that and then they said, OK, so because of this expanded definition of conservatorship, the state can now effectively be a conservator over somebody that we've deemed to be a a, a recidivist drug offender. Somebody who cannot control their own behavior, cannot control their own uh, drug addiction. So we're going to effectively become their conservator and force them into rehab.
0: So here are a couple things out of the story and phone lines are already ringing. Feel free (laughs) here, 913-586-7798. So previously the eligibility for conservatorship required someone to have a mental illness. New legislation means you don't have to have a mental health disorder at the same time. You just have to be addicted to alcohol or drugs to be forced into treatment. So now it also expands conservatorship laws to allow involuntary rehab for people who are quote, unable to provide for their personal safety or necessary medical care in addition to food, clothing or shelter due to either severe substance use disorder or serious mental health illnesses. And I think that either or is important, either either one now they right. can do. And I think um, drawing the connection between mental health issue or addiction And the inability to accomplish these things is going to be difficult to prove.
1: Not only that, I mean, when we get into the effectiveness of drug rehab, it isn't. Um, and, And I say this advisedly because if you're looking for a yardstick to measure the effectiveness of drug rehab, you have to measure it against the only other option, which is quitting. Just quitting, cold turkey—you right. decide I'm not going to do drugs anymore—and you just quit. That's not terribly effective. It's about six percent of people who are able to do that the first time and never take drugs again. The 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 rate is the same for people who go through rehab. It's about six percent, and that's In my what-
0: experience. Sorry, go. Uh, I was going
1: to say that's why you have people like uh, what's his name, Robert Downey Jr., who go to rehab twenty-five times before they Mm -hmm. before
0: they finally kick. It just doesn't work that well. My experience also is it works even less well if it's not you, the person deciding to go. That's my experience with it. One hundred percent. Yes, you have to want to do it first. No one can do it for you. You can take someone. um, The only thing it would do is force you into withdrawal i mean it's going to force you if you force someone into rehab it's going to force you to go to that facility And eliminate your access to drugs and alcohol. So you're going to go through withdrawal. But it doesn't mean that the second you get out of there, you're not going to go right back to where you were because you didn't want it in the first place.
1: Right, That you're cured because when it comes to something like addiction, any any addict will tell you in any phase of recovery, I'm not cured and I'm never going to be cured. That's not how it works. So, yeah, uh, to have. To have them say, okay, we're going to force this thing that probably won't work and will be even less effective, as you pointed out, because we're forcing you to do it. And in the meantime, we're going to take your rights away. That seems to be, for the people that are dead set against this, and, and our voices are not the only ones, believe me, that are against this, uh, calling it exploitative and and saying, look, You have to before you take somebody's rights away, you have to have a really, really compelling reason to do it. That's what the Constitution says. That's why it's there. And yet this seems to kind of fly in the face of that and say, well, if you can't stop taking drugs, that's when we're going to come in and take over.
0: We'll get to your calls here in a sec. But just to show the other side of this, I assume the people that are in favor of something like this is if you have a spouse or a family member who is a destructive addict and it is destroying your family, and you cannot get them to get help, you want someone to be able to step in and force that to happen. Yes.
1: And I I can understand it. I get it because it's a very, very, very difficult thing to deal with. Drug addiction is insidious. So if you can't handle it, then having the state come in and be that conservator and force people into rehab. And again, we can talk about the costs that are going to be involved in this and everything else yeah. that's there. But there are already reasons stacking up against it. And you have to, I guess, recognize as that family member that it may be convenient mm-hmm. in the initial because you're at least getting them away from you. And you're, you're doing what you can to try to get their problem solved. But you've got to understand that they're going to come out. And when they do, they're probably not going to be terribly happy about it and the whatever rehab they went through is likely to be completely ineffective
0: so the only thing I can I'm the only part of this I can get on board with is if they are a danger to themselves because we already do that with some people like we already have a guideline you can do like a 72 hour hold for somebody who is a danger to himself or to others and if you can connect that to addiction that's where I'd be okay with it because you're They're in danger of hurting themselves or somebody else.
1: It would be the same thing as uh, what they call in California, where this is going on, a 5150 psych hold that but instead of doing it for psychiatric reasons, you're doing it. Well, I guess one way or the other, we're still talking about what's going on in your brain. Addiction is, in fact, that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a different level of, you know, do we want this to be the responsibility of the state versus the responsibility of the person?
0: Opinions are coming in all over the place. Feel free to get in here.
1: Let's get to Ashley and KCK. Hello, Ashley.
0: Hi, guys.
2: Okay. As somebody who is a recovering addict, 19 years off crack cocaine, and a recovering alcoholic, one year sober. Good for you. I am going to tell you right now, this will not work. Every And, Jamie, I love your argument of somebody being a danger to themselves, but every single addict out there by nature is a danger to themselves. So that's kind of a catch-22. If you force somebody into rehab, one, it's going to make them resent the rehabilitation process more. Nobody, I mean nobody out there is going to get recovery or sobriety until they are ready to do that on their own. Because... Recovery and sobriety is not just about the drug or the alcohol. It's not just that. It's a symptom of things that are going on deeper within that person and the feelings that that person is trying to numb and kill off with those drugs. Also, what, Gov- what Governor Newsom does not realize, the most risky time in an addict's life is either knowing that they're going to rehab and going out for their last hurrah or getting out of rehab thinking that they can go back to doing the level of the drug that they were doing. Yeah. They overdose because of it.
1: That's in the yeah, That's in the article, as a matter of fact, is another one of the reasons why not to do this. You're exactly, exactly. right.
2: Exactly. You know, 85% of people who try to get sober don't make it a year. That is a 15% when it comes to fentanyl and opiates, only 98 or only 2% of people make it a year. There are so many more factors that come in when it comes to addiction and alcoholism that have to be dealt with. I'm sorry if somebody is an addict, taking away their food, taking away a home, taking away clothing is not going to matter to them. All that matters to an addict until they have hit their rock bottom, which is different for everybody. For me, it would be living on the streets, but for some people it's not. It's not selling their bodies. That's not a rock bottom for some people. Until somebody is actually ready to get help for themselves, there is nothing that can be done. No matter how much they love their parents, their husband, their wife, their brother, their sister, my heart goes out to anybody who is dealing with an addict and has love in their heart for an addict. And I urge them to go get some help of their own and how to deal with it. But until that addict is ready, there's nothing anyone can do. You can put them in jail. They will find drugs in jail until you are ready to do the work. They say in, in recovery that the work is not getting the drug out of your system. The work comes when the drug is out of your system and you start feeling feelings for real and not having that numbing agent there to do that for you
1: glad you did it and Ashley thank you so much uh very candid and you know lord save us from the people who mean well you
0: know I yeah, pr- appreciate exactly. the call thanks Ashley for thanks Ashley that. I want to read a text we just got um because I what I'm curious about a little bit is those of you that are in favor of this I think John and I are both kind of on the side of we see the pitfalls here but I I'll it passed for a reason I mean it got through the legislature for a reason yeah Texter just said, for some people like my sister, this is very much needed. She has been in and out of rehab more than a dozen times in the last year and is 23% liver failure due to alcoholism. Uh, She said, my sister had assaulted strangers in public and caused a ripple in our family. And I feel for it because it's in my family too. Um, And the other thing I think about is if this is a member of your household, it's hard to kick that person out of your house If this is like because I know married couples that, you know, one one spouse or the other is a destructive alcoholic or drug addict. It's hard to kick them out. It's hard to have that moment of saying you have to get out of the house. You cannot be here anymore.
1: Without doubt. And I say this not wanting to be a jerk. I'm trying not to be crass about this. But after a dozen stays in rehab over a year, what's another stay in rehab going to do? valid point i just I, I don't see the value in it i mean it will get them out of your house temporarily but outside of that i i see zero value in this whatsoever and i you know i'm not one of these who generally says and this is going to cost the state a bunch of money but it's going to cost the state a bunch of money for something that isn't going to have a net effect and i i just don't
0: understand doing that uh, let's keep going alex is next up out of kck
3: Hi, guys, and this is a tough topic to talk about, of course. Uh, yeah, and I agree with everything the last caller said. Uh, I'm thinking about people that I've lost over the years, and so many of them have gone because of alcohol and, and drug addiction. And mm-hmm. A friend of mine in Topeka, she drank herself to death. Uh, but they, before she drank herself to death, they civilly committed her after they had a commitment hearing that she said to them that she'd been working at a grocery store for two weeks when, in fact, she was in the hospital and in a coma from drinking a fifth of vodka or a half gallon of vodka every day. Wow. She ended up getting out. They put her in an apartment in Emporia, and six months later, her son called me and said she was dead. Um, So and who's going to pay for it? Well, Kansas is already doing that. Um, we have civil commitments all the time my mom has friends whose sons are alcoholics and mean and hateful and beat them up and do stuff that are horrible those people need a little more than civil commitment <laughs> yeah. but um you know and, and it, it all comes back to why do they really need that law i mean civil commitment has been juris doctrine for a long time so that's kind of weird you know yeah like the remember when you, you see the shows the hot seat you know and the they come in and they say we're doing an intervention. <laughs> yeah. Sure, they can back that up with civil commitment. So, Why, why is that all? What's he doing with that again? <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: it, it, yeah, right. It, it's just I guess it didn't cover. Uh, it, it it didn't cover addiction before now, and now it does. But it, it, instead of the situation that you laid out, uh, where you've got other people in your family who are part of, you know, they're the ones that are signing that paper to have you committed. Uh, in right. this case, it's going to be the state of California that does it.
3: And, and I think, uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, they've got these landfills, you know, that they're trying to make into places. Maybe they can do a nice big hospital on a landfill.
1: <laughs> It'd be something to do with the land. Alex, yeah. thanks. Yeah, I, I, um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they decide to administer this and who qualifies I mean, at what level do you have to show poor behavior before they say, okay, you obviously can't handle yourself out in the real world. So we're gonna put you away for six weeks in a rehab.
0: I mean, my guess is there are some quantitative metrics that you could use a little bit out of that list. I mean, people who are unable to provide for their personal safety or necessary medical care, in addition to food, clothing, or shelter. I mean, somebody just asked on the text line, is this to combat the homelessness epidemic? Or is this going to be – because, I mean, think about somebody who's homeless, no shelter, hard to provide clothing and food, and necessary medical care. That seems like the first place you're going to look. Yeah,
1: and even that's a temporary fix because, again, you're taking those people. Let's say that that's accurate, and mm-hmm. you go and you do a sweep of the homeless community, and anybody that's there and clearly has addiction problems, okay, you send them off to rehab for six weeks. Six weeks later, they get out. you know, They may have been clean for six weeks, but they get out. They're still homeless.
0: So, then are they going to provide follow up aftercare services or whatever it is that comes after that?
1: Yeah. To, uh, they to take care of they that. would almost have to. Uh, it, it, because if you don't, all you're asking for is for them to go right back to the homeless camp that they were in before they left and start doing drugs again.
0: 913 586 7798. If you have experience with this on one side or the other, give us a call. Get to more of your comments next on KMBZ. So we're talking about California now with legislation that can force alcoholics under some conditions and drug addicts under some conditions to get rehab. Seems like an appropriate time to do this story out of ABC News, kind of confirming what we already knew about the pandemic, but it's worse than we thought. Uh, Let's see, doctors now say excessive drinking during the pandemic has led to skyrocketing rates of alcohol associated liver disease to the point of needing transplants uh those in need of a new liver are up higher than ever before with some transplant centers seeing double the number of patients needing transplants compared to pre-pandemic levels wow holy cow
1: (laughs) and what are we going to do about this and you know you ask a question on our thread that i think is really the the main question involved in this which is if you did I mean, if you, now I'm not talking about drinking to the point where you can't do anything else. So I'm not talking about necessarily drinking to the point where you need an intervention of your own. But if you just increase that
0: level, did you decrease it later? Right. And I think that's, that's some of the difficulty is that once you, although liver damage I, doesn't go away. Right. Yeah. That's part of the problem too. And that once you traditionally, once you start drinking more, you don't, it takes a while before you drink less. Mm -hmm. Like usually you get used to drinking more, your friend group drinks more, and you're in with your friends, and it's harder to back off. You don't traditionally back off. The stats in this are um, scary too because of the age. Historically, patients needing liver transplants were older men in their 60s. Now, patients needing transplants are often in their 20s and 30s. Wow. And there has been an increase in the number of women needing transplants. That second stance holds true with what we've heard lately. We've got increasing rates of women with alcoholism and, and alcohol disease, but you have people in their twenties and thirties needing liver transplants because they are drinking themselves to death.
1: It's that's unbelievable. I, that's uh, I, I mean I believe it. <laughs> I believe their numbers, <laughs> but it's unbelievable that you would have somebody that young. Um, and I I wonder. If maybe I mean certainly the alcohol is is the major part of the problem, but there are so many uh, drugs out there on the market now mm-hmm. that have Tylenol in them, and uh, Tylenol uh, in connection. I, I heard uh, oh who was it Sanjay Gupta of all people was uh, talking about this on CNN a couple of years ago during one of his series on alcohol and liver disease and all of this, and he said that in combination that they multiply the effect. So if okay. you if you have a few drinks and you start to get the, the headache that goes along with that and you pop a couple of Tylenol, whatever the effect that that Tylenol would have on your liver and whatever effect the alcohol would have multiply each other. It gets a lot worse than if you had just done those things separate from each other.
0: So again, I'll come back to what I wondered before is we heard about a lot of people that started drinking more in the pandemic, but does that mean they just didn't quit? Yeah, they just kept it that same. Like when things got back to normal, quote unquote, did that drinking just stay?
1: And is it a matter of binging? I mean, is it is it a two or three day bender, you know, where where you just wait for the weekend to come and then just have at it? Or maybe you don't wait for the weekend to come and just have at it that it's a uh, which is another thing they say is really terrible for you is to drink all day for a couple of days in a row. Even if you wait a couple of weeks in between, it doesn't really make any difference. That kind of binging still, the damage that that does is, like we said before, it's not going to go away.
0: And if you didn't back off the alcohol at some point, why didn't you? What, what was it that made you keep going? Let's go to Steve in North Kansas City. Let's talk about this one. Hey, Steve. Well, what I wanted
4: to mention was what this is, is really a, an unexpected, should have been anticipated cost of the lockdowns that we've experienced. But there is so much, you know, cost that is involved in that. I mean, when you look at our kids' education, child molestation was off the wall, guys getting drunk, not knowing what to do with themselves. The cost of the lockdowns just were just, they went everywhere. There was like tentacles that went into our society and and have really damaged our society. Uh, The other thing is, at some point, you need to do, uh, you know, a show on, on really the effectiveness of the vaccines because oh, people got the vaccines. We're got not vaccine. going to do that. No, no, we're, we're
1: not going to do that, game, Steve. And, and as far well, as tra- you are, are you trying are you trying to say that somebody became a child molester because they had to stay home?
4: No, not that. It's just that kids were, were stuck at home or given over to child care and, and they were more vulnerable. And so so you think there's a bunch of people that are
1: just waiting to become child molesters and they're waiting for the opportunity to come. That's that's crazy. Steve, come on. Here's
4: the other thing. No, 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 no. Now, here's the other thing.
1: Oh, it's not crazy. Okay. so how long would you have to be alone with a kid before you became a molester? No, no. Here's the point. No, I want an answer to that. I I would like to know because you're the one that posited, well, the kids were home all the time. So, of course, you know, they were vulnerable. How long would you have to stay with one before you became a molester?
4: It's not that when kids don't have much. You're right. It's not. no no here's the thing they're getting porn on their cell phones So and what so neighborhood kids who are 14 or 15 or looking at like 18 year old 8 year old girl across the street that's you know the most likely you know predator of an 8 or 9 year old child
0: is an older kid Steve I was on your side for half a second <laughs> I, for half a second I was because there was a fear hold on a second let me tell you there was a fear during the pandemic with kids being at home it's schools that are mandatory reporters and schools that usually notice the first time there is child abuse at home. We talked about this with domestic violence. And so we worried that with everyone being kind of stuck at home, domestic violence rates were going to go up and child abuse rates were going to go up. But then you lost me again.
4: Yeah, Well that, it, it did happen, though, because according according, are, are according,
0: homes, according to whom?
4: Well, kids that live in homes where there's civil you know you know unrest i mean i mean where, where they're where, where subjected uh to domestic abuse are, are getting a lot more of it when they're when they're stuck in. who
1: said life. that child molestation skyrocketed
4: i don't know i i'm just you don't. You.
1: I, i'm shocked
4: well then you know take a look at it because uh you know there's a lot of there are a lot of of, of effects of lockdowns.
1: Yes, there are, but that's not one of them. Steve, thanks for the call, but no. Um, it, I, I'm Yeah, I, I don't want to play the vaccine game anymore. Please, can we not do that?
0: Again, I, I will give you domestic violence rates. Well, I don't know if rates went up, but the fear is that that was going to happen and, and that reporting was going to be less because people didn't have anywhere to go. We don't have the stats on that yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm not having the vaccine conversation any more than I have to. I just, you know, the platitudes.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, this skyrocketed during the pandemic. Yeah. Who says it skyrocketed? Show me the numbers. And nobody ever does. Um, so, yeah, I, I understand you've got a uh, an axe to grind. I, I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but it doesn't really matter.
0: Phone lines are ringing. Again, the original topic here was alcohol abuse going up. As a result of the pandemic to the point that again we have people in their 20s and 30s now needing liver transplants more than ever before have to get to a break get to your calls next on KMBZ. transplant centers across the us are reporting more patients in need of a new liver than ever before sometimes seeing double the number of patients needing transplants compared to pre pandemic levels alcohol abuse in the pandemic skyrocketed and is not tapered off
1: Yeah, and uh, we'll go back to the phones on that if you want to jump in. 913-586-7798. What have you noticed, not only with yourself, but with that friend group? I mean, are are you seeing things that may have been habits that we developed to try to get through whatever was going on three years ago? uh, And what still happens now in terms of, you know, drinking habits and other things like that? We'll go to Mike in Kansas City up next. Hey, Mike. Me? Yeah, you. Oh, hi. Hi, Mike. Yeah, it's real simple.
5: Uh, you know, like when I was a kid, I'm 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 in my fifties now. When I was a kid, I grew up at Kansas State University, big party town. Well, everybody went to the bars back then to drink. I didn't drink at home. I never had alcohol in my house ever. And uh, over the years, you know, they've cracked down on drinking and driving, so people really don't go out and meet in bars anymore. They turn to, uh, you know, your dating sites and all that. But what I'm getting at is the uh, pandemic kind of made it worse because everybody quit going to bars even more and stuff, and they just kind of drink at home. And drinking at home, nobody makes fun of you when you're a big drunk, you know? (laughs) There's no control over it (laughs) now. I mean, I know know people that are that way, you know? I know people that were real drunks when we were kids, and people made fun of them, and they're not drunks now, you know? Yeah. there's no shame in it anymore
1: there there is less of an audience at home yeah there's no doubt about that um
5: yeah yeah, everybody has alcohol at their house now
1: well and you, you make a point there you know the idea that if you get used to drinking at home the way that you would go out and drink at bars well you're always home so is there any difference between a friday night and a tuesday night at that point
5: well, there's a big difference if you're out looking for a date or something. Oh, yeah, if no, no but that's what I mean. Smashed, nobody's going to control you. But if you're right. out looking for a date, you're not going to get smashed trying to impress, you know, a lady or, or vice versa, whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm laughing at the term <laughs> out I'm, looking
1: I'm for probably, a date. Yeah, I'm right. I, I always get smashed to try to, try to impress the ladies. That's <laughs> They love that. <laughs>
5: well, I'm married now. Oh, know? there you
1: go. Yeah. Um, now, have you found that your own habits changed at all? do what have you found that your own habits changed at all over the last 3 years
5: oh yeah oh yeah definitely
1: have yeah. you are you back to normal now or or are you no. still okay no
5: I, I used to go to the gym all the time i'm not a gym rat nothing like that yeah uh, you know that that ruined that and uh, it's i'm still going to the gym but i don't have the i don't have the drive that i used to anymore but it, it's changed everything in life actually i mean it really has. I can't put my finger on everything, but it's totally changed life. And I do know people drink more than they used to. Definitely.
0: Got it. All right. I mean, the numbers
1: show it. Yeah. Mike, thank you. Thanks a lot for the telephone call.
0: Um, I'm just thinking about my friend group for a second. Most of us in like our mid-30s to early 50s. And I can't think of it. it's it's a pretty social group. That we you know a regular basis a couple times a week two times a week people get out and get together and i want to come back to that um like whether your friends would make fun of you kind of thing and whether that contributed here somewhere i don't think there's a single one of us that has an alcohol problem we're just we're all just social drinkers but i think if somebody was developing one it's not like it would be a um like we make fun of them it's a Hey, we're concerned. Thing. I think the first time somebody showed signs of like this is getting to be a serious thing, there wouldn't be an intervention, but it would be obvious, and and we'd all kind of jump in and get concerned. So yeah,
1: uh, right. Well, and and that yeah it was would have been much more difficult during the lockdown than it is now.
0: Except that we were all. I mean, we were the bubble. We were yeah. each other's bubble, mm-hmm. and so. Um, And yeah, people were drinking at home. But in this group, nobody, to my knowledge, nobody developed any change in drinking habits. I'm just wondering about the difference between the people that stayed the same and the people that increased their alcohol intake. And when life went back to normal a little bit, which is maybe the point of discussion, they didn't back off of it. Um, Yeah, so I'm wondering about like the rates of alcoholism then going up.
1: Yeah, and I mean you don't necessarily have to be an alcoholic to destroy your liver. I mean
0: But you but those people tend to drink at home, more is oh, my yeah, point. Oh yeah. You're, you're, no, like, you're doing it
1: in secret. It, right. And and that's that's uh you know to to his point, um, uh, I I think it, you know, there there may be a nexus there that if you're at home all the time and there's nobody looking and there's nobody judging you and there's you know there's none of that going on that if that's what you wanted to do um it it still doesn't necessarily
0: mean that it's a thing that you can't control. You can still control it. You just do it more. Right. And you do it more. I mean, that's usually a, um, a token sign of a problem with alcohol is yeah. you're doing it more at home. You're doing it every night and you're not telling people about it. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, you're otherwise you would do it with other people. You do it at home alone and you're usually doing it as a coping mechanism. Right. Because that's why you're that's why you're drinking at home alone. Yeah.
1: There's a reason they call it social drinking, right? Be- right. <laughs> because there is that social aspect to it. And you right. don't normally go out and get plowed when you're with a group of four or five people and you're just sitting around talking, you know, and having a couple of glasses of wine or whatever. You're not gonna drain the bottle.
0: Right. But it's concerning because then I wonder this is not in the story, but then how many of those people are actually getting the liver transplants versus being on the list? Yeah for a long time. All right, moving on here uh, to the story out of the Daily Mail. You asked this morning, does this still happen? Yes, in fact, it does. Uh, We have a mother out of the UK that got mad when a car parked too closely to hers (laughs) in front of her children, had been out shopping, came back to the car, uh, put these shopping bags into the boot of her car, which I just love the UK, um, and then pulled her keys out of her bag and then got even.
1: Yeah, keyed the car right in front of her kids. Nice going, mom. <laughs> Mama uh, four? Yes. And all the kids were there with her in the car. This is a forty-five-year-old woman, well mm-hmm. old enough to know better. And it was you know, it just first of all this would never make the news in the States because it's, it's not <laughs> it nearly all the time. Right. Well, it's not just that. It's just it, it's not nearly the level of crime. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I have a friend who went over to the U.K. for the first time back in the early 90s. And he said, like, the front page of the local paper was a guy had his VCR stolen. <laughs> you know, It was like, oh, OK, uh, it, not a big crime, but it made the front page of the paper. So things like this, you know, the, the, it'll make news in the U.K., but it had been so long, not only since I had ever heard of anybody keying a car, but it's been so long since I've heard anybody say, some idiot keyed my car in the parking lot. That's been a while. And and it just kind of struck me as how long that that has been. And it, it really did. It made me think, do people still key cars? Well, first of all, now we all have those little plastic fobs, and it makes it much <laughs> more difficult to key a car. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, with your house key, I guess you still could. I wonder if it's one of those things that just it happens so much that people don't even bother talking about it anymore. Or is it really one of those things that it's almost like um, prank phone calls. Now, you know, prank phone calls used to happen all the time. Now everybody has caller ID and you can't. It's no fun. You're going to get caught. You know, you're going to get caught. So nobody does it anymore.
0: There is a big um, mark on the driver's side of my Honda sitting outside. Um, it was not parked too closely. To I'm very paranoid about <laughs> being hit now, because I've had I've had three really big incidents since I've had this car. Two in which the car was smashed. So I get really picky about where I park it. So I know I was I'm always like right in the middle of the lines. And I came out one night, and somebody had just taken their key like stem to stern, so to speak, and just absolutely went down the side. Oh. And there was no way to, it's just going to be there now forever. So it, it definitely does happen. I didn't realize it happened so much as revenge for parking so close to you.
1: Yeah, that one I've never heard of. I mean, usually it's just punk kids, you know, who are bored and they're running around looking for some kind of trouble to get into. At least you know, that's what it was when I was in high school. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd never heard of somebody doing it for revenge either. But, yeah, it, it's such an oddity. So if if it's happened to you, if you're one of the unlucky ones like Jamie, who has had your car keyed... Um, Yeah, yeah. What happened? How long ago was it? And and is this the kind of thing that still goes on with anywhere near the regularity that it used to?
0: How difficult is that to fix? I didn't get mine fixed because I had bigger problems than the side of my car being keyed. Usually, it's it's a pretty major undertaking. I mean, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: Depending on how deep they go, sometimes you know if they're not if they don't go too deep into the paint, you can have it buffed out. But usually, if they're going to key your car, they're trying to do damage, so they're going to get pretty deep in there.
0: Why did that ever become a thing that people decided (laughs) to do? Who had that idea the first time? I know what I'll do. Well, yeah,
1: right. It's it's like the easiest form of vandalism.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And
1: it's the easiest one to, you you can look fairly nonchalant walking through a parking lot. Yeah. And key in cars. And if somebody's not standing right there, they might not even notice that that's what you're doing. (laughs)
0: 913-586-7798 if you want to get in here. All right. Still to come this hour, we mentioned Starlight Theater gonna do some pretty big renovation. We'll get to that coming up here on KMBZ. Ever been the victim of having your car keyed? It's what happened, uh, there was a story out of the UK where a mother of four came outside and was putting the bags into the boot of her car when she noticed uh, the car parked next to her was a little too close. So in front of her four kids, she took her keys and just all along the side.
1: Great lesson. Thanks. Great <laughs> lesson for the kids. Uh, yeah, see, kids, this is how you key a car effectively. But, uh, yeah, it just uh, yeah, one of those oddities that for a while trended and maybe still does. So we'll see. Let's go to Jacob in Platte City. Hey, Jacob.
6: Hey, John. So a while, a couple years ago now, year and a half, when I got a little bit more invested in my emergency lighting business, I bought an ex-patrol vehicle, and it was outfitted. Um, I had my business name all down the side of it, on the back of it. Big letters that said demonstration vehicle on it. And I don't know how many times I'd get flipped off from driving that car. I've had stuff thrown at it. The car was keyed twice, and somebody smashed one of the lenses on my light bar. Oh, I've had wow. nasty notes left on it, sitting in front of my house. I, I I finally quit parking it at my house because I was scared something was going to happen.
1: I it, it, now what did what did it cost you to get all that work done?
6: Um, well, it was, it was vinyl wrap, so it, it wasn't too terrible. Oh, okay, you know, That's Most most of it I didn't really, as uh, wasn't really noticeable. Um, I mean, whatever the parts to fix the light bar, obviously I had on hand, but and my inventory, but. It was just like it. It had eggs thrown at it. It, all all kinds of nasty notes. I I come out to a note in the parking lot. Somebody called me a pig once. and I'm like, oh, I ain't even a cop. <laughs>
1: Oh, thanks for that. Now oh, that now uh, all I'm the like, cops are going like, to be mad at us, Jacob. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you got too stupid to read inside the, the car. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I, I, I hope it doesn't happen to you again. That was the other thing about what was in this article. Is it they're saying it cost her what about a thousand dollars? Yeah, or it cost the person whose whose car she keyed about a grand to uh, to get all the work done, and that'll tell you. I mean, right there, that means repain. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, she also the woman that did this denied doing it until they showed her the surveillance video that they had of her doing it yeah she's like oh yeah okay i guess i i guess you're right i guess i did so (laughs) dummy just a dummy key cars all right uh, to wrap things up this hour the starlight theater is a little over halfway toward the 40 million dollars that they need to do a whole renovation and one of the coolest parts about it is they're going to build a canopy over the crowd covering 3,200 seats. That's gonna be one of the biggest parts of what they're gonna do. New restrooms, new concessions, the ability to do some matinee shows that they couldn't do before. I've said before, Starlight Theater is my favorite place to see music or to see a show in Kansas City. Love that they're gonna be doing some fixes.
1: Yeah, um talk talk to me a little bit about the canopy. Is that going to be the kind of thing they can retract if the weather's good? Because to me that's part of the charm. Um I mean it, I I get that you don't you want to still have the ability to go see a show if it's raining
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh or if, you know, there's some other kind of inclement weather, but
0: I I just I love the fact that it's as open as it is. I don't know if it can be ret- it's not in I have three versions of the story in front of me, and it's not. And none of them says, of course, any of that. Yeah, (laughs) of course not. The one thing you want to know, Um, and I'm I'm even looking at the picture because I have the picture of it in front of me. And hard to tell. It doesn't look. the The view that I have doesn't look like it's retractable. It looks like it comes out over the stage. Because there's a part of the stage that's um, covered, and then there's another part that comes out with all the lights. Yes. It kind of comes out over that part with the lights and then keeps going. Oh, so it's not real extensive.
1: All right. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's going to cover uh, 3,000 yeah, seats. 3, seats. So, they, yeah, that is going to be extensive. Um, boy, yeah, I, I hope that it's going to give them the ability to do that.
0: Oh, there's a video on this. Oh, I'm on the Channel 5. Or, oh, it's the Channel 5 video. They have put out a video that shows exactly what they're going to do, but I can't. Watch it and be on the earth at the same time because um, that would be difficult. It's their first major capital campaign in 20 years, which is significant. Um, you know, you've never had shade there when you've gone to see anything. It's always just been out in the sun. So that's kind of nice. They said it allow for summer Broadway matinees. Sun must have been too hot before. Which makes sense. To do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: and, and so for that reason, right, if it started to get, yeah, because uh, when we went, well, the first time I went was not that long ago. Uh it went yeah, bare naked ladies, yeah. Um mm-hmm. and even there, it was middle of summer. Um so for yeah, for the first little while it was pretty rough. But then when the sun went down, it cooled off quite a bit.
0: Yeah, the CEO of Starlight said national Broadway tours, everywhere else in the world, they do eight shows. Six evening performances and two matinees. When they come to Starlight, we pay for eight shows. We only give six because no one wants to sit outside at Starlight at <laughs> two p.m. in July.
2: Yeah. So they're paying
0: for them anyway, um, which is cool. Uh, this just makes me happy. I'm just. They're also going to do new production truss and light bridge, and so they can do more fancy things with productions and and that kind of stuff. So um, still not going to be covered all the way. So still can't go year round, but.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good start. Uh, definitely, and and you're right. I mean, it is just one of the coolest places to see any show. Is is there a show that sticks out in your mind as one of the more outstanding ones you've been to?
0: I, this is just me. Um, some of you will remember when Rob Thomas performed. Who's the lead singer of the Counting Crows? Adam. Adam Duritz. They did a show together. Oh no! Kidding. And they are both so high energy. Yeah. Like they were competing with each other sort of on who was going <laughs> to run around that stage more. It was great. Rob Thomas by himself is great. That's, that's one of the more memorable, uh, memorable ones to me did, probably six or seven years ago. Did they
1: do all of the stuff? For, I mean, was, was Rob Thomas doing matchbox 20 songs yeah. and Adam Duritz was doing counting crow songs. And, it and they did
0: each other's Oh, oh like that's they chimed cool. it on each other's, which yeah. was kind of cool. The, so I, the one thing I haven't done yet is see a play there. And I'd kind of like to. So yeah, you can check out the plans other uh, up online. If you want to check that out. All right, Rangers want to stop with the love locks at the Grand Canyon. We've got them here too uh, on the Missouri River. We'll get those. Get to that story coming up here on KMBZ.